Hallelujah. Okay, so this evening we are continuing with a study of the book of Acts. And we are going to be, to be reading the passage from Acts 14, 21 to 26. We're first going to read it in the message version. And then we're going to read it in the NLT version. Um, so I'm just going to read, please. Uh, so it says, after proclaiming the message in Derb and establishing a strong core of disciples, they retraced their steps to Lystra, then Iconium, and then Antioch, putting grit in the lives of the disciples, urging them to stick with what they have begun to believe and not quit, making it clear to them that it wouldn't be easy. Anyone signing up for the kingdom of God has to go through plenty of hard times. Paul and Barnabas handpicked leaders in each church. After praying, their prayers were intensified by fasting. They presented these new leaders to the master to whom they had entrusted their lives. Walking their way back through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and preached in Perga. Finally, they made it to Atalia and caught a ship back to Antioch, where it had all started. Launched by God's grace and now safely home by God's grace, a good piece of work. The New Living Translation. After preaching the good news in Derb and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga, then went down to Atalia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where the journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Okay, so we're just going to take it a line at a time, a verse at a time. And the very first line says, after preaching the good news in Derb. So, of course, they preached the good news. And we are all called to preach the good news. We cannot overemphasize this. Jesus is the message that we preach. Everything we do must reflect Jesus. Preaching is not just for pastors. It's not just for evangelists. It's not just for missionaries. We are all called to preach the good news. And, you know, again and again, this has been reinforced to us that the body of Christ was edified 
for the work of the ministry. So we are the ones that are to do the work of the ministry. It is you and I. And in as much as there will be those times when we will carry our Bibles, I, I wonder if people still do that and go in twos and go from door to door preaching the good news. I don't know if that is still done. But it is important. It is important that you are in a bus, you preach the good news. It is important that at your workplace, your neighbors must know that you are a Christian. If they don't know, then you are not preaching the good news. And I know that we have the place of saying, by our conduct, by our character, they will know that we are children of God. And that is very correct. But there is also the place of opening our mouths and interacting with them and saying, are you saved? If anything happens today, are you going to heaven? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know he can help you? There's the place of seeing them go through things that we know that Jesus can resolve and having those conversations. So we must not belittle the power that is in the saving grace of Christ. The things we have experienced, the things we enjoy as Christians, we should be eager to share it with other people. So they preached the good news. And you will notice that there are different um, places that were mentioned in this place that we have read today. At least four or five places that it told us that they went to. And we're going to be looking at that uh, in depth Typically, most people, when we're reading the Bible, when you come to the names of people, somebody begat somebody, then begat somebody, we sort of gloss over and skip those places. Then when you come to the names of places, we also have a tendency to gloss over those. But we are going to try and look in depth at these places that have been mentioned today. And God will help us in Jesus' name. The next thing that we're told still in that verse 21, is that they made disciples. It says they established a strong core of disciples. They made many disciples. And I started to think, who is a disciple? And the first answer that comes to mind is, of course, Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. Jesus had 12 disciples. So that's the first thing that comes to mind that, okay, they made disciples. So as Jesus had 12 disciples, they must have also raised people who could be that to them. But then I started to also ask myself, who is a disciple? Is it someone that just follows you around physically or someone that follows you on social media or someone that follows you, you know, someone that comes to church who is a disciple? And I discovered that a follower is different from a disciple. You can follow someone, you can know their ideologies and beliefs, but if you don't do it, you're just a follower. You're not yet a disciple. To be a disciple, you must be able to do the things that that person does. You know, and Jesus is the model to us. And Paul told uh, the, he wrote it, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So in today, if we're going to say, okay, who is discipling us? Then Papi could say, follow me as I follow Christ. And you could follow him, you could hear the messages on Sunday. And you could know what he preached. But 
in the day-to-day, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are you following? Are you actually being discipled? And if you have taken, how many people have taken uh, the journey here? I've taken the journey, or I'm taking the journey. Okay, the people that have not taken it, I know what the journey is. Okay, okay. So in the journey, you are going to come across a picture that Papi shared with us, and we're going to project it now. It's the concentric circles of discipleship. So you will see that that picture moves from community to crowd. Community is everybody around us. So we are here now. You can take some kilometers in every direction, 360 degree. That is our community. Those are the people that we must show Christ to. Those are the people we must evangelize to. They must know about us and they must know that they are invited to fellowship with us. Then we have the crowd. The crowd we are told is that the people that come to church on Sunday, they come some days, maybe not every Sunday, Maybe they come on New Year's Day, then they come on Christmas, they come on Easter. So they are still the crowd. Sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. Then we have the congregation. The congregation, they come every Sunday. And maybe on some Wednesdays, they come or they tune in. Then you have the committed. By the time you start deciding, I'm going to take the journey. I'm going to take NCR. I'm going to join the men of service. I'm going to do... I'm going to join a department in church and serve. I'm going to join women of worship. Then you are becoming committed. So do you see how the circle keeps moving and keeps moving and keeps moving? So then we get to the core. The core is we can't doubt you. We can't doubt where you stand. We know you are for us and we are for you. We are siblings in the family of faith, you've got our back, we've got your back. That is the core. And then, of course, from the core, we will be commissioned. And commissioned, even though that arrow points outward, commissioned does not necessarily always have to go outwards. You can be commissioned within the house to do a thing for God. And even though your, your location, your physical location does not change, you can be having your own missionary journeys right there, from one thing to the other as the Lord, you know, commissions you through um, the ministry. So looking at this picture, everybody is expected to know the circle that they are in right now. You should answer that question to yourself. Which of these circles am I in right now? And which is my next step? So what has been unfair that some people have done is that I mean, maybe it shouldn't take more than a year or six months in between each circle. Like if you're in community and you come to crowd, it shouldn't take you more than six months, three months or even less to move to, you know, the next, uh, the, the, the congregation. But what some people have done over the years, please leave the picture up. What some people have done over the years that is that even though they've been in church for maybe 10 years, they have consistently moved from crowd to congregation, then when we think they're going to commit, they go back to congregation, then they go back to crowd, they just disappear for months or weeks, then they come again, gingered, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it, then they miss again. So you find that some people are not progressing 
to the core, and so they are not even being commissioned. And that is a, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair, and we're going to get to that verse, and I'm going to explain more why I said it's not fair. If I forget, please remind me. But this is what discipleship making is all about. You should be asking yourself, am I a disciple? If I'm truly a disciple, how have I moved uh, from one circle to the other? And what is my next circle that I should be aiming for? What are the things I need to do to ensure that I actually move into that um, circle? So again, still on discipleship, I want us to read Luke 8, 1 to 3. And he talked about Jesus, his movement, and his disciples. And you know, we said he could, we, we all know the 12 disciples. But the truth is that Jesus had many others who were disciples. So this place that we're reading, it says that he continued according to plan. Talking about Jesus. Traveled to town after town, village after village, preaching God's kingdom, spreading the message. The 12 were with him. There were also some women in their company who had been healed of various evil afflictions and illnesses. Mary, the one called Magdalene, from whom seven months had gone out. Johanna, wife of Chusa, Herod's manager, and Susanna, along with many others, who used their considerable means to provide for the company. Those women were disciples. You can't even, I mean, that's what I believe. He said they used their considerable means to provide for the company. So disciples are not just the people that will hold the microphone. Disciples are not just the people that will go and lead the missions. Disciples are the ones that will use their means to finance the work. And when an account is being given of the disciples, their names will be mentioned. Disciples are people like Nicodemus, that even though he snuck out to go and see Jesus, but, he, he, I mean, he believed in him. People like Joseph of Arimathea, who said, please give me his body. And he put him in a tomb that was made for wealthy men. So, another question to ask yourself, what kind of discipleship am I called to? Regardless of the discipleship that you are called to, you must still find your place in, that, in those circles. You must still find your place in those circles. So, am I being discipled? Am I submitting to the discipline of God in the house where he has planted me? Then moving on, moving on, our third point. It says they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. They returned, being the keyword. And you know, again, in this day and age, the in thing, the fanciful thing, is to do something new. Everybody wants to do something new. They don't want to return to something they already did before. They don't want to go and tighten up and, you know, make sure what they did before is standing properly. They just want to move on to the next thing. You find people in, you know, Today, they're selling this. Then tomorrow is tech. Then the day after is cryptocurrency. Then next one is content creation, graphics designer, different things. And they don't like master one before moving on to the next one. They don't like 
have a structure that ensures that that one keeps earning you maybe a passive income or that the doors are still open for God to bless you through that one that you have learned before you move on to another one. Same thing with how we treat people. God brings people into our lives so that they can be a blessing. We treat them anyhow. We just want to go and meet new people. We don't want to return and strengthen friendships. Even people that God has spoken to you about and said to you that um, this, this relationship, this friendship is for something important that I want to do. We don't take time to strengthen them. It says they returned to, to, to it mentioned the places where they returned to. So we must keep returning. We must find the strength in repetition. Repetition can be boring, but you must be able to find that it is actually strength to be able to say, this is, what, this is where God told me to stay. This is what he asked me to do and to keep doing it day in, day out. Isn't that what we have been doing? The doors of God's favorite house has been open for years and years. And every Sunday we are here, every Wednesday we are here. It is what God has asked us to do. For many years, pastor will turn up, he will preach a message again and again. You know? So there is strength in being able to stick with what God has asked you to do and to keep doing it again and again. All right? So, uh, verse 22. It talked about what they went to do in the places they returned to. What did they go and do when they went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia? What did they go back to do? And if we can put up the picture of the map now, that would be a great um, idea. So reading verse 22, it says, they strengthened the believers. So that's what they went back to do. They went to strengthen the believers. They went to encourage them to continue in the faith and reminded them. They reminded them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The second version, MSG message version that we're looking at, it said they put grit in the lives of the disciples. There's something called grit that as believers we must have. We must have grit. And it says that the people that have been called over us can put it into our lives. They can urge us. It says they urge them to stick with what they have begun to believe and not quit. They made it clear to them that it wouldn't be easy. Anyone signing up for the kingdom of God has to go through plenty of hardship. So there's our picture Plenty of hardship. Look at this, this Paul's first missionary journey. And we, we, you know, this picture was shared by Pastor Balaji um, some weeks ago. And look at that. I want you to even first look at the, the red stars that show where we, God's favorite house, are on the planet. Look at all the places where we are. And what we are saying is that as disciples, as disciples in this house, if you have sowed an intercession, if you have sowed a seed, if you have sowed an encouragement towards the work that is happening in all these places, then it will count for you too in kingdom. So Papi has gone, is physically there, commissioning them, and you know, doing the work of an apostle, but that this is a win for all of us. And that is why we must continue to, again, repetition. 
if he has called you to intercession for these missions, then you should. And it doesn't matter that nobody knows. God knows. If he's told you, you must do intercession an hour every day, 30 minutes every day. You get on your knees in your room, you do it. You are sowing a seed into a work. And if you are called to be like the Mary Magdalene's, the Susannas, then you should again and again be that person. All right? So let's look at the other map now. We can see how Paul started to move. Look at the place where they wrote preached. So that's where he started from. He started from there, Antioch. He was called by the Holy Spirit. He preached. Then he went to Paphos. That's where he was blinded. No, he blinded by Jesus. Sorry. There's a guy who wanted to disrupt what God had asked him to do. And he just made the guy go blind. And then he kept going by sea. He went to Pamphylia. He went, went to Pamphylia. And then he went to Antioch. So you'll see that on this map, there are two Antiochs. So the, the Antioch of Pisidia, that's where we're talking about today. He went to Antioch of Pisidia. He went to Iconium. He went to Lystra. Then he went to Derb. Then he came back and touched all those places again before he went back to where he was commissioned initially. So please, let's put up the, there's a table that shows that missionary journey and the successes, the hardship. Because what we have read says that um, they put grit into the disciples' lives and they told them that, look, if anybody must be for Christ, they will suffer hardship. It is what it is. And you know, many times we are told there's that song, Inside Jesus, Oganoala for you. And we were told that, and we believed it. Many people believed it. Then you come inside Jesus, you see that, ah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like the Wala, may have intensified. You know? And are there people who sort of, it actually, there's no wahala. Maybe. But again, if you're not doing a thing that shakes the kingdom of hell, then the devil will not even bother with you. Because you're not troubling him. He, will, he may leave you alone. But that's not necessarily the case. So that you are for Christ already is a point for him to be angry with you. But when you now step out into your calling, into your ordination, into preaching the gospel of Christ, into tearing down the kingdom of hell and building the kingdom of heaven. He, the devil is going to come for you. It's definitely, definitely going to come for you. And that will look like wala. But if you look at this table, what this table shows us is that we must be able to see the successes. We cannot focus on the hardships, because there will be hardships. 
but we must also pay attention, especially pay attention to the successes. So when we just read in that verse, and it says they returned to Iconium, they returned to Lystra, they returned to uh, Antioch of Pisidia, it may not make sense that, okay, what's the big deal? They went there before now, they preached to them. So they had a set of people that were already Christians. So they went back there to strengthen them, right? But guess what? The first time they went there, in Iconium, they were almost stoned. They were labeled as blasphemers, and they had to escape town so that they would not be stoned. In Antioch of Pisidia, they angered the jealous Jewish leaders. They expelled them from town. In fact, uh, history has it that that was where Paul and Barnabas, they dusted their shoes. You know, Jesus said, if you are not received in a town, just dust your shoes off. And it means that maybe you're not to go there again. But they did return there, you know. So the love of God constrains us. The love of God in our hearts constrains us to again and again put God first. That is more important that we go back and strengthen the work that is going on in this place than for us to say they expelled us the first time. Now why should we go back there? Let's just go home, you know. And then the third one, Lystra and Deb, they were tested with pride. That's the one we did last week where you know, they said, these ones are gods. Come, bring sacrifice. Let's sacrifice to them. That's been tested with pride. Imagine coming from places where they say, get out of our town. Who are you? This, this, that, that. The next thing you get to a place and they're like, wow, these are gods. It is very tempting to say, yeah, treat us, <laughs> treat us well. <laughs> like, we've actually gone through a lot. So, you know, so they were tested with pride. Again, it was in this place that they, uh, Paul was actually stoned. They took him outside the city, stoned him until they believed that he was dead and then they left him for dead. But he got up. After they were gone, he got up and he left. So imagine Paul being able to return to that city where they actually killed him in their own minds. So those are the hardship. But if we look at the successes, God did signs and wonders. People were saved. They spent months preaching in synagogue, and this was a big deal, because the people who opposed them the most were the Jewish religious leaders, the leaders of the synagogue. But God opened a door of ministry for them in Iconium, that they were able to spend months building the new disciples, building the new converts, and teaching them. In Antioch, the people actually wanted them. People invited them, come and preach to us. They were received by the people. In Lystra, they healed the man that was crippled from birth. That's a success. They converted, in Derb, they converted a young Timothy. They didn't even probably, Paul didn't know what Timothy was going to become or who he was going to become in God. But that was where he converted him. They made many disciples and preached the gospel of Christ. So looking at this, just looking at this, you know, when we read the verses for today, the last verse, it said they had completed a good work. And people that are not of God or people that are not, maybe they believe God, but they don't, they're not following or modeling after God. 
They can look at Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey and say, it was catastrophic. It was a failure. In fact, they almost killed the guy. In fact, everywhere he went to, they chased him out of town. He was not well received. This, this, that, that. And that is looking at the negative side of things. But if we look at, at, at things with the eyes of God, with the lens of God, with God's perspective, we will say, oh, it was a success. Because many people believed and were saved. We will say many were healed. Signs and wonders were done. In fact, people were converted who will eventually become strong pillars of salvation and of preaching the word of God uh, in time to come. That even the person that Paul himself was going to eventually mentor, you know, Timothy, was saved on this mission. So, looking at 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 13. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 13, the Philips translation. It says, but you, so this was Paul now talking to Timothy. He says, you have known intimately, because he was there. So he said, you have known intimately both what I taught and how I lived. So this is discipleship. What was taught and how a person lived, knowing it and modeling after them. He says, you know what I taught and how I lived. My purpose and my faith are no secret to you. You saw my endurance and love and patience as I met all those persecutions and difficulties. So he acknowledged that there were persecutions, there were difficulties at these places, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He says, but you saw my endurance, love, and patience. So as believers, when you go through hard times, you must find your love, you must find your endurance, you must find your patience. And he says, you know, this is the most important, if, if, you haven't, if you're not picking anything today, you must pick this one. He says, you know how the Lord brought me safely through them all. And this is our testimony. This is how we stand firm. This is how you're confronted with issues. Issues that can break anyone. But you don't break. Because you know that the Lord brings you through all of them. David said, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. So as a believer, you must know that God is with you. You must know that he's going to bring you safely through the hardship. In fact, if the hardships are not coming, maybe you are not, you're not extending yourself. Because sometimes we say, oh, I have peace. So if I have my peace, then everything is fine. But how do you define peace? What is peace to you? Is peace just a state of mind? where everything around you is settled. But you, you know, that is because you are not ruffling the waters. It's because you are letting things be. That's why that state of mind is there that looks like it's peace. You know that if you actually take a step forward and try to achieve bigger things, everything will shake. The people that are contented with you remaining in status quo, they are going to, they are going to fight you. And your so-called peace is going to be shaken and destroyed. So what is this thing we call peace? 
Do we call peace what God calls peace? What is peace to you? Huh? So we, we will look briefly at what peace really is. Luke 13, uh, sorry, Luke 14, 27. It says, peace I live with you, my perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Look at what he now says. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. It says, let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Until you are actually in the middle of a challenge and you are able to hold on to that pillar that says, because God is with me, he will safely carry me through. You can't call what you have peace. If you are running away from challenge, you can't call what you have peace. If you are running away from forward motions, doing a big thing from God, going on your missionary journeys, and again, it's not necessarily about physical movement. Missionary journey is not necessarily about physical movement. Missionary journey is God has called you into an industry. Maybe God has called you into the music industry. And you see the perversions that is going on in that industry. And God says, create music that can edify. Create alternative, you know, sources of enjoyment for my people. So that they will not, you know how music shapes culture. Sometimes things that you don't necessarily agree with, you find yourself dancing to the music of it. They are saying the same thing. If they put off the music part of it and they say the words... You say, please, stop using those kind of language in my, in my presence. Please, I don't agree with that ideology. But the moment they layer it over some Afro beat, we start dancing. And then there's somebody God has called into the music industry. And you are considering joining them if you can't beat them. You have not started your missionary journey there. And you cannot say you have peace because nobody's challenging you, because you are not doing things that should be challenged or, or, or needs to be challenged yet. So apply that, take that and apply it to any industry that God has called you to or anything that he has said, look, this one, I want you to do it for me. And then ask yourself, this piece, do I really? Do I really? Am I, am, am I living in peace? Or am I just avoiding destiny. We say peace is shalom, shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. If you haven't been tested, if there are not things that should normally break people, but you go through, you're not broken, then can you say nothing missing, nothing broken? So it's time we break out of confinement. It's time we go to the places he has sent us. It's time we do the things he has asked us to. It's time we return to the places where we have been persecuted. Not because we, we think they will like us now, but because there is someone that sent us and he is more important. In fact, he's the only important person in the equation. So the peace of God is knowledge-based. It is knowledge. There's something you must know that will now inform that peace. 
We talked about that because I know surely he is going to, he's going to save me. He's going to bring me through it. So it is based on what you know by revelation. He said, I will keep in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on me. So you must have a steadfast mind. Stayed on God. Regardless. Stayed on God. Insisting on what the word of God says. So that your peace is secured. And the presence of challenges does not mean God is not in your situation. Neither does the absence of challenges mean that God is there. You know, we have said it. If you're not stepping out, then it may be like, oh, everything is perfect. God is here. So lack of hardship does not mean you are on the right path. Neither does the presence of hardship mean you are not sent by God. We must be able to look at the hardship, put them in their place, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sometimes we also fall into that place of saying, when this problem go away, then I will serve God. When I have what I need, I will serve God. When God answers me, then I will answer God. No, we must be able to, in the midst of that tribulation, in the midst of that hardship, put that thing in its place and focus on the thing that really, really matters. Because problems, you know, they finish. It's one thing or the other. It's one thing or the other. Somebody can say, when I get married... Then somebody that is married will say, when I have children. Then somebody that is, has children will say, when these children grow. Then when the children go, when this child gets married. When this, when that. So we must be able to move regardless of the challenges. And we pray that God's peace will continue to uphold us in Jesus' mighty name. Okay, our time is fast spent. If we have questions, please let's send them in. I'm going to mention two more things briefly, and then we are going to have Papi in the house. You know, from verse 23, 24, 25, 26, he started to talk about Paul and Barnabas appointing leaders, appointing elders. They fasted and prayed. And if you remember when we studied that part where Paul and Barnabas were commissioned and sent out, the church in Antioch also prayed, fasted, and then sent them out. So there are things that God will do in your life so that when you have, you know, when you have mastered it, you will now replicate. So you can't let some things end with you. You can't let some things end with. You must say, okay. And it says we must comfort others with the comfort that we have received. So it is also part of discipleship to be able to pay it forward. So what did they do? They fasted, they prayed. For each of the places where they have preached and there's a group of believers, they appointed elders and leaders and they commissioned them to the grace of God. He said they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So a few lessons here. If you are a leader, you are commissioned to the care of God. You are literally commissioned to the care of God. God is carrying you and he's going to see you through. It is very demanding. 
if we do it the right way, but God himself is the one we put our trust in. It's his work, so he's going to make it easy. He's going to give us everything that we need for the work. Appointment of leaders is by the Holy Spirit. And this also speaks to us as people, as individuals, that if, an, if elders have been appointed over the commission that we are in, we must, there's that verse that says that we must not make the work tedious for them. Maybe we should quickly read it. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That will certainly not be for your benefit. So we must, we must give our leaders reason to do the work with joy. And if you go back to our concentric circles, you see that person that moves today from, keeps moving into the circle, then suddenly moves two steps back. They're not giving the leader reason to rejoice. The joy of every leader is to see the people they are discipling growing, becoming steadfast in the Lord, coming into their own, being themselves appointed. You know? So if we, if we choose to sit, and it is a choice, if we choose to sit forever in crowd, or congregation, you're not making the work easier. You that you're supposed to go. It says we that we're supposed to be eating meat. We're still asking for milk. So we must make the work easy for them. So that everyone uh, uh, benefits. All right? Then finally it says they traveled back. It mentioned the places where they traveled back to. And it is that last line that gives me so much, so much joy. It says that the work they had now completed. It talked about the believers that had entrusted them to the grace of God, the, their tribe, their family members, the people that sent them out. So that was home. They went, they came back home. They gave an account. They were received back home with joy. So again, we should remember always that no matter what we are sent to do, where we are sent to do it, there is a home. There is a tribe. God didn't call us to walk one, 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 one. He called us to walk in tribes and communities of faith. And we must be able to leverage on that. So they, they, after they had done that, all that hard work, been rejected in places, been accepted in some places, they returned to base. Where is your base? If you say here is your base, which circle, again, which circle are you in? Really? Really? Because your base will entrust you to the grace of God. So we must never forget our base. We must never forget where it all started from. And one thing is, if you, if you take what you are supposed to take from your base you will have the grace for completion. And that's what saves us from doing half, 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 half work all over the place. That's what helps us. It's like a foundation that helps us to, to, to be able to complete a work. So, I have an assignment for us. I want you to, when you get home today, draw a map of your footprint. Just like this map of Paul's 
first missionary journey, it may not be places. It may be assignments that you feel that, okay, God told me to do this and I did it. told me to do that. And draw that map. See if your map actually returned to the places, to the things that he asked you to do. See how many of the things you have actually ticked off as done, done, done. And the Holy Spirit is going to help us in Jesus' name. So as we pray, if there's anyone here, you're like, I don't even have a base. I don't even know, you know. I don't even have a tribe. I, I, I'm just community. I'm just crowd. But I want to come in closer. I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. As we bow down our heads, whether you are online or in the building, I want you to commit to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for drawing me to yourself tonight. I submit my life to you. I make the decision to move into your tribe, to be called one of your own. Dwell in me and help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, Papi, we are ready for you, sir. As we welcome Papi, a round of applause. <laughs> welcome, sir. Thank you. Amazing teaching. Good job. Let's put our hands together for Pastor Ukola. Thank you, sir. So, Papi, I have questions. My first question is, the, the place we read talked about how the disciples helped them to have greet. And I thought, okay, to have greet, even though greet looks like a skill that one must acquire, but what are the other, like what helps someone to have greet? What skills do, do, do people need in order to be able to have greet that will keep them going even in the face of hardships? Hmm. When, when you were reading the text, you know, <clears throat> and I saw that you highlighted and bolding greet, you know, I was like, a, a part of my message on Sunday is about greet. <laughs> so, so I was saying, okay, okay, okay. But now you're asking me how to, how to help people how do people develop can people be trained to develop grit yes, and how to how to do it yes grit is not a gift you know um if you check you don't see the, the gift of grit you know the components of of grit are from a fruit not the gift. So you have the you have the gift of the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then you have the fruits. The fruits have to grow. The fruits have to be developed. 
the fruit of the spirit is love, is you know joy, is you know then perseverance, yes. then endurance. They mm. say that when when you are when your patience when you run out of patience, you switch to long suffering. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know those are the components of grit. Mm. You know, so grit can be developed. The components of it is from the Holy Spirit, is from the fruits of the Holy Spirit. However, um, grit, grit, like everything that can be developed, cannot be developed in a classroom. It can, it can, it can only be developed in, in real-life applications and real-life situations. So, so because it can't be developed in the classroom, you know, like, like patience, you know, you can learn about patience in classroom, but you cannot develop patience learning from the board. You know, when you leave that class, you need to go home. If you are married, you need to be be battered by your not physically though, but you be battered by your spouse or be or by your or be troubled by your children. If you have a toddler that you know has a mind of his own, <laughs> you know, so. Patience is learned in real life, like grit. Also, mm. you know, it, it it can be it can be taught, but it can be trained. So you you can be trained to have grit. And um um, so how do you do that? You know, so you you must you must submit mm. to to training. You know, so. You cannot say that you want to be a world-class athlete. Mm. Then you don't submit to your coach. Mm. You will never develop grit. You will never develop the, the skills. You can know about the skills in, in a classroom setting. You can know how it is to cross a ball. You can know how it, how it is to fade a shot if you are playing golf or to draw a shot if you are playing golf mm. or to do a backspin if you are playing tennis. You know, or to serve um, consistently in tennis. However, if you don't submit to coaching and to someone saying to you, giving you a bucket of a hundred balls, and say, mm. begin to hit it, mm. don't stop, keep hitting. If you hit twenty, and you say to him, ah, "Look, Oga, your own is too much. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out of here." You know, and that's what we see today. So people. You put their feet to small fire, small, chilling chill like this, they run away. <laughs> <laughs> then, then they say to you, then they say to you, how can we get what you have? How can you, how can you know? If you want it, then you need to stay the course. You need to, you need to, it's like, it's like, look, look at uh, uh, Coach B, you have, you have a beautiful hair done, you know, uh, today. Your hair is, is really pretty, Thank you know. You, <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'm sure that I'm sure that you have to put your head down. Yes. Yes. For them to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm sure there may be a time, maybe halfway, that your neck, you know, you, you want to, you know. Mm. What happens if you begin to feel discomfort and you get up and go, well, would we have would we be blessed today with this no, beautiful hair? No, no, no. we're not. <laughs> So my grandmother will say, hey, tofei, you know, mm. yeah, could you interpret that? 
the person that the person whose head they want to make, but it's not coming up, it's not putting the head down. You're not putting the head down. It's not <laughs> so you you to you need to allow yourself to be taken through the fire. And that's how to develop grit. There's no other way. There's no other way. Let me pause there, and I, I hope that uh, answers your question. Yes, sir. perfectly. But I also have a follow-up question. How does a person even realize that their hair is being done, their hair is being made? Because sometimes people don't draw, they don't connect the dots. They don't realize that I've been here before and I took a wrong turn or I left before the work was done. So how do we? So, I mean, again, that's, that's, that's the power of community. You know, sometimes you need another person to say, hey, sis, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, um, hey, bros, I mean, I thought we, we, we were thrived today and we, we heard what was said. Why are we responding like this? You know, so, so we need um, each other. We need someone to, to, to say to us, you know, um, like, like uh, my grandmother would say, that no matter how, I'll say just say this in English, no matter how sharp your eyes are, you cannot see the back of your head. Mm. You, know? <laughs> you cannot see the back of your head. You know, so you need someone else to, to come and say, look, come on, you know, mm. you know. And which is why if you get rid of everybody in your life that can tell you, hey, come on, you know, it's, it's a sorry state. Yeah. Wow. So, sir, I hear you say, like your boss will say, we cannot be, like, there must still be someone that can. Correct. Yes. Can you interpret that, please? <laughs> like you can't say I'm beyond correction. Correction. Mm. Mm. You're right. Point blank. You know, point blank. The day you say that, you enter the field of the fatherless. Mm. You know, it's what the Bible called the field of the fatherless. That's that's and you know, maybe I'll do a teaching on the field of the fatherless, you know, someday. You know. <laughs> but hey, that's what happens. Yeah. That would be beautiful, sir. Because again, linking it to uh, Paul and Barnabas returning to base, it means that they were not fatherless. They didn't get carried away with oh. all the, you know, missionary, this thing, that, that. They came back to base to the people that can correct them, the people that knew oh. them and can see oh. the back of their heads. Oh. Mm. Thank oh. you, sir. Okay, we have questions online, sir. So. Okay, sure. Good evening, Coach Me. Good evening, Papi. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, <laughs> Hi, Debbie Lolo. <laughs> okay, the first question is, for a disciple who has been abused by a leader, how can such a person bring themselves back to faithfully following? Okay, so let me try. Yes, I think you should. 
I think that the first thing is to, I mean, what we just said, why do you feel abused? Are there leaders that can abuse? Yes, I mean, everybody is human, and it is to the extent that people submit to God that they can, you know, represent God. So, yes, there are people who can abuse. But then, um, and we, we are not like that in this house. We must establish that. Amen. Again, also, is the fact that we used to blame people uh, who abuse or use their position of leadership to abuse others. But recently, I started to also say, there's a posture that a person assumes or a lack of knowledge that puts them in a place where they are abused. Because uh, we are all being trained to know God. We're all being trained to draw closer. So if in maybe somewhere else, someone tries to abuse a person, or get them to do things that are not godly, using leadership as, you know, uh, a manipulative tool, that you allowed that to happen to you, it means that there is a gap that you didn't feel. It means that there is a knowledge gap, a spiritual growth gap. When we... Use people to replace God, then we are open to abuse. But and that's why I said we're not like that here, because you'll never see Papi come here and say, "Take my word for it." In fact, he will encourage you. You say, "Go and research it in the Bible." You know. So when you have leaders that point you directly to God. If you actually follow, then there won't be abuse. So let's now come back to, okay, this person was actually abused by some leader somewhere. You must heal. You must heal. And how do we heal? You talk to God about it. You, we were taught to report people to God. <laughs> You report and say, look at, look at this thing that happened. Look at how this issue panned out. And look at how, where I find myself. Honestly, there is a prayer, and I'm sure I've mentioned it before. There's a prayer or a Bible verse that always comes to mind for leaders, for spouses. And it is that verse that says, unto his master. Let him stand or fall. Oh. And he will stand because God is able to keep him standing. What we read today is said they were entrusted to the care of God. So even oh. if you see that, okay, oh, my leader has to improve on maybe some areas, remember that that person was appointed by God himself. That person will give account. And pray for that person that they will stand. 
Because God is able to keep them from standing. Sometimes the things that we call abuse, they are actually, again, us being myopic and us being, uh, saying nobody can correct me, nobody can tell me what to do, nobody. So you want the anointing, but you don't want the discipleship. So when they introduce small discipleship like this, people are like, ah, they're asking me to do this, they're asking me to do that. Open your Bible now. If what they're asking you to do, is like when Paul started to say to Timothy, come with me, go with me to, or I think it was John Mark that they said, Paul refused to take him after a point because the guy had deserted. But later on, Paul said, send me John Mark because it will be very useful to me. So imagine John Mark at that point saying that they abused me. They sent me back before. They, they, but you did something wrong. You were not accountable. They said, let's go on, John. You said you wanted to go back. So again, some things that we call abuse is us not measuring up to maturity that is required for the stage that we are supposed to be in. So that, that's what I think, sir. Right. Okay, sir. <laughs> okay, so um, that's all, sir, actually. No more questions from our audience. And you have answered my second question already. And so any final words, Papi? Yeah, I mean, well done um, for today again. God bless you, real good. Um, and I, I feel, yeah, let's clap for Jesus. Let's appreciate God. And I'd say that, you know, for all the pastors that are taking, that have been taking Thrive, you know, Thrive, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm a happy, I'm a happy puppy. <laughs> Really, I mean, I, I mean, listen to you did a good job with this. I mean, as so did everybody else, you know, and you know, and hey, you know, my job is just to see the grace, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Papa. <laughs> you know? Okay, so so God bless you. So, um, Pastor Bokola, thank you to everyone that has joined us for Thrive today. Everyone joining us online, God bless you. Um, let us close the service. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your thank you, daughter. Thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us today. As we go, we ask that your presence will go with us. Amen. Father, make the crooked places straight before us. Amen. Break the gate of brass. Cut in sunder the bars of iron. Amen. Give unto us the treasures of darkness. Amen. The hidden riches of Places and let your name be glorified. Amen. Honor and glory we give unto you. Hallelujah. Mighty name. We have prayed. Amen. And the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. Shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Amen. Of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. So it is and shall be. Amen. Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. So, God's favorite house, who are we? 
We are limitless all the way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.